My name is Bryce Holdman. I'm our pastoral intern, and I am excited to be here today. Uh, Pastor Faye once came to me, and she said, Bryce, I wish that I had your level of energy. And I looked right back at her, and I said, Pastor Faye, you have more energy than I will ever have. And if you've interacted with Faye, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm so thankful for her and her being with us this morning as well. Well, we're in this series called Stages. Maybe you've been a part of this series last couple weeks. Last week was Mother's Day. We talked about the nurturing stage. We heard from Dr. Bill Bucknight here in this room. And uh, this week we're talking about the next stage in the process in this series, and that is the growing stage. There's a picture I want to show you on the screen of something that I didn't know anything about until middle school. This is a cabin in the woods. I'm kidding. It is a, uh, it's a greenhouse. And um, the closest thing I ever got to a greenhouse before going on a field trip in middle school, I think, was probably going to Home Depot. And uh, at Lowe's and Walmart, we go in the flower section, right? And you see it's kind of greenhouse, kind of not. Well, we went on a field trip to Charleston when I was in middle school. And we went downtown Charleston. Many of you have probably been downtown Charleston to the market and hearing Gola singers and seeing basket weaving and things to buy, good food to eat, too many people, no, no way to drive a car there, um, all that good stuff about Charleston. Well, we went there, and after we got done with that part of Charleston, we went to a different part of Charleston. And this particular part of Charleston was part of our field trip to teach us about the growth of plants here in South Carolina. And one of the things on this property that we went to was a greenhouse. Now, I had not really known much about a greenhouse, never really heard of one. So I actually was trying to figure out why there was a greenhouse that was needed for plant growth. So that was one of the questions that one of our other classmates actually asked our guide who owned the property. He said, can you tell me why I see plants over here that are growing just fine and some plants need this greenhouse to be able to survive? Please give us some info. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He told us the greenhouse stabilizes a growing environment to protect the plants from extreme temperatures and conditions. That's the basic common definition of a greenhouse. Now this morning, I have no idea and absolutely nothing to share with you about plant growth. I have no idea how to grow a plant. I can't keep plants alive very well. That's why I don't have them. However, I want to talk to you about a different type of growth. A growth that I've been learning a lot about as I've been walking with Jesus, a, a spiritual growth. Now, I want to also address an elephant in the room, if you will. I'm 24 years old, and there are many folks here today that are older than 24 years old, and therefore you've been walking with Jesus for longer than I have. And so I want you to hear me clearly when I say my goal today is not to tell anyone here today anything that Bryce has learned because of Bryce's experience alone. Instead, I'd love to share with you what the Word of God says about growth in God's greenhouse. Growth in God's greenhouse. I want to give you a working definition, an easy-to-understand definition of this spiritual growth that we're talking about today. I believe that it is the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Chances are, because we're here today, that is our desire. We want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today. We hope to look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. We hope to be growing closer to Jesus every single day. I believe it's what the Word of God teaches us to do. And that's what I want to share with you today about spiritual growth in God's greenhouse. If you've got a Bible, I want you to join with me going to one place in particular. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews. This is in the New Testament. If you were to open your Bible to the table of contents, you would see an Old Testament and a New Testament. The New Testament is to the right. So if you'll flip to Hebrews, it's after the Gospels. It's after the book of Acts. 
It is after all of Paul's writings that we're probably familiar with, we get to Hebrews. It's towards the very end of the Bible. I want you to go to chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. A little bit of context to where we are in the story. Scholars believe that there could have been a number of different people that wrote the book of Hebrews. No one really knows because no one, or the, the writer of Hebrews does not address himself while writing. You'll see often in Paul's letters, he'll start the entire letter with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we know who wrote it. But in Hebrews, we don't see that. And so it could have been Paul who wrote it. Many scholars believe it could have been Barnabas, maybe a guy named Apollos, maybe Pastor Jeff. I mean, no one knows. No one knows. Side note, I don't actually think Pastor Jeff wrote it. Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 is where we're starting to read. The words will be on the screen. The writer is writing to Jewish Christian converts. And he's just finished explaining how Jesus Christ is the great high priest for all believers. Now, the high priest was a role that was taken up in Jewish religious society that was the highest of the highest. In many ways, the high priest was the mediator between people and God. And so the writer of Hebrews is essentially speaking the language of his audience, his initial audience. And he's revealing to them deeper things about their faith that can't be seen just on surface level. And that's where we pick up in verse 11. He shifts gears slightly. Here's what the Bible says. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching other people. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Father, we praise you this morning for all that's gone on already. We know that you're here. We see evidence of it. We've seen evidence left and right that you are moving already in this place physically and virtually. So we pray you just continue doing that. We pray that you would teach us something, reveal something from this scripture that we need to receive and I pray that it would be your word that is spoken with clarity today and received by all, including myself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am completely convinced, church, that the right environment for any type of growth to take place also must include the right nutrients. You see, every plant, the one thing I do know about plants, every plant needs water and sunlight as their basic needs. Now, there might be a few plants I learned about in elementary and middle school that don't need those things. That's for another day. However, most plants need water and sunlight to survive, their basic needs to be met. Now, my grandparents are currently in Houston, Texas. They're probably watching online right now. Um, and they gave me a task before they left. They said, Bryce, is going to be gone for about a month. We need you three times a week to come over to our house and to water our flowers. Now, they picked the wrong person to do that because uh, I'm not good at that. However, I do need to tell them because, again, they probably are watching right now. The flowers are alive just like Jesus Christ. That's what's happening right now. Um, they gave me that task. I have so far successfully completed that task. But I was thinking the other day, what would happen if I, for some reason, one week or so, went without giving any water to those plants? They would still be receiving the sunlight they needed, but they wouldn't receive everything. They need it. And so for, in order for, for, for growth to take place in a plant's life, the nutrients, plural, must be there. Because if it's not, 
If the nutrients are removed, then the growth will be stunted. And I just wonder if we're honest with ourselves right now. If some of us here today have experienced in this current stage of our life, in this current season, what it feels like to have our spiritual growth stunted. This happens for a number of different reasons. Maybe for some of us, we've experienced this stunted growth because of suffering that has knocked on our door. Maybe we lost a job that we never thought we would lose. Maybe we, we lost a loved one that we never thought we'd have to look in the eyes and say goodbye to. Maybe for us it's different. Maybe it's a financial burden that we're, for the first time, really experiencing. We didn't bring those things upon ourselves, but nonetheless they have stunted in some form our spiritual growth. Maybe instead of suffering of some kind, it's a self-limiting mindset that we've had in regards to spiritual growth. Maybe we've made comments like this, I feel like I have it all figured out, so I've arrived. Or maybe the opposite of that, I feel like I can't grow anymore. I've reached my max of spiritual growth. There's nowhere else for me to grow, and so I'll just stay right where I am. The encouragement I believe the writer of Hebrews would love to give us today is very simple. To put the ball in our court a little bit. And I think he would say this, don't allow yourself to cap your own growth. Before the current battery in all the iPhones and Android phones, there was a different battery. This one's called lithium-ion. There was one before that that was on the market. There was in all these smartphones. And essentially, the, the, the difference between the two batteries was that with the old battery, you would take a phone home after buying it. You would charge it for the very first time. And if you were to unplug that charger at, let's say, 80% battery instead of 100% battery, you have now capped its battery. And so for future reference, whenever you would charge that phone, it might say 100% battery when you finish charging, but it's actually only at 80%. In a similar sense, I fear that some of us have been guilty of capping our own capacity for spiritual growth. As a, uh, Pastor Jeff said a few weeks ago, he was on this very stage, he was showing some pictures of our building as it's progressed over the years here at Mount Horeb. And he made the, the statement that we have had to create space for growth to take place. We've built new buildings. We've expanded hallways. But in a much more meaningful spiritual sense, have we done the same thing? Have we actually spent time understanding the environment that we are in trying to grow? And through that environment, have we created space for growth to happen? I believe that in some form, this is where the Jewish Christians that the writer is writing to finds themselves. This is exactly where they find themselves right now as the writer writes these words in Hebrews. And the question for all of us today is very, very simple. What causes spiritual growth? Maybe it's a question we've asked before. Maybe this is the question that we've been resonating with very, very recently. We have felt that stunted growth. We felt stagnant. It's, it's often said that if you're not growing, you're dying. That's a business principle that could be applied to every walk of life, including spiritual. If you're not growing, you're dying, and so how do we keep growing? That's the question on the table. I believe that this passage in particular reveals two things, and the first one, I'd love to give it to you now. Pass on what's produced. Passing on what is produced. I want to reread the beginning. If you'll look at it once again on the screens and in your Bibles, verse 11, there is much more we would like to say about this. But it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. 
You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. That's how it concludes. I still remember the first day of college when I went to Newberry College before I transferred to CIU. I was pretty new to this whole thing called following Jesus. And so I signed up for one class that they were offering that semester only called Love in the Bible. I was excited about this. I read through the syllabus, kind of got a feel for what we'd be talking about. I was most excited to dive into scripture and paired with that, learn from someone, my professor, who had been walking with Jesus for a long time. The first day of class, I remember being so impressed with the Bible knowledge that this professor had. He was quoting scriptures from all over the Bible that I frankly had never heard before. I was thoroughly impressed. I was excited for where the semester would go from here until there came this moment a couple weeks down the road where through a series of conversations the professor had with us, I figured out that he actually didn't allow his knowledge to turn into action. You see, he didn't claim to be a Christian. He didn't follow Jesus. Instead, he dedicated his whole life to studying the history book, the Bible. It was a humbling reality for me because in that moment, I figured out that it is actually possible to have all the knowledge about every theological concept in this entire book. And yet, if it doesn't turn into action, including others, it's meaningless. That's probably why James says in his first chapter of his writing, verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. You see, I believe that passing on what's produced, teaching what has been taught to us, doesn't have to look like a sermon. It doesn't have to look like a microphone involved or even in church walls. Instead, what it might look like for you is a coffee meeting. It might look like a coworker coming to you, watching how you live your life, hearing how you speak to others. I believe that in every instance of our life, we have a chance to teach someone something, and they will be watching us. We have to pass on what has been produced within us, but there's a prerequisite to that. There must be something being produced. There must be something that is growth inside of us. There must be a spiritual growth actually consistently, continually taking place in our life. I will never forget the day when I was right up that hallway in the chapel here on campus. We were on a Sunday morning having a young adult Bible study, a small group that met every single week that I was facilitating a couple years ago. And I remember that the question of the day that I had posed to our group was very simple. How do we live out our faith day by day? Very similar to our conversations here today. And I will never forget a buddy of mine named Ben. He was there that day. He'd been a part of our church, come through our youth group. We were good friends through many different avenues. And he responded with a story. He told us about a gentleman, a fellow student of his actually, at the University of South Carolina that was a devout Muslim. But then he started to be curious, thinking that he had actually had it wrong all his life. So he came to his friend Ben. He said, Ben, I'm a Muslim. Who do you affiliate with? Do you have any religion of some kind? He said, well, I follow Jesus. I believe the Bible is completely true, and I think if you read it, you would agree with me. You should. And so he took him up on the offer. He said, I'm going to read the Bible front to back, and when I'm finished with it, I'm going to write down questions I have, and we're going to talk about it. Ben agreed, and finally that time came. And there came a moment in that conversation, that coffee meeting afterwards, 
where Ben asked him, what did you think about your study of the whole Bible for the very first time? And it was a humbling, humbling statement that was made next. He said back to Ben, Ben, I, uh, I read the whole thing. I'm very intrigued by what I read. I love this guy named Jesus. I want to learn more about him. But there's one thing I can't get past. You see, because when I read the book of Acts, and I read about people like Paul and Peter and Stephen and all these disciples that then carried the gospel forth and tons of people come to know Jesus, when I read about them, I look at our world and I don't see a lot of them. It was humbling. You see, that conversation has actually been, been one of few conversations that have kept me going in this journey called faith. Because there have been many points where I am guilty of being what the writer calls spiritually dull. The Greek word used there actually means lazy and sluggish. The writer is calling the folks out that he's writing to very clearly, saying if you intend to grow spiritually, you have to get over the hump of laziness. You can't be sluggish in your faith. Maybe that's the call for us today. That maybe in order for us to share with someone else what has been shared with us, we can't let it stay in our minds. It has to sink down into our hearts. That's when spiritual growth will not just be produced in us. It'll be produced out of us as well for others to see. But I believe that at some point in this conversation in Hebrews, the writer makes a shift. You see, first he starts to speak to the Jewish Christians about other people. He says, you should be at the point in your spiritual journey where you are teaching other people. There's a focus not just on them, but on others. But then he makes a very, very intentional shift to an introspective look. And I believe it's the same shift that we have to be aware of here today. He calls us to make a shift in our own life. He calls us to increase our diet. He calls us to increase and expand our diet. I want to finish out this passage for you and read exactly what I mean, starting in verse 12. He says, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The shift in order for us to grow spiritually that has to happen. There is no other way. The Bible says is to move from milk to meat. From just eating milk, drinking milk, to consuming solid food now, in terms of Scripture. I was on a trip recently with some of our pastoral team. It was myself, Pastor Jeff, Grace Marie, and Emma. What a party that was. That was a crew. Let me tell you, it was awesome. Very short trip. We went to the Atlanta airport on the way back from Indianapolis, which is where we were. And in the Atlanta airport, we stopped and ate at this restaurant where at some point during our meal, one of the tables next to us got occupied by this young, young family with a little baby girl named Olive. Now, Pastor Jeff from that point on kept talking to Olive more than he talked to us, so that was fun. But Olive was there. We were watching her. We were talking with her. We were laughing with her. And it got me thinking about this principle that we're talking about today. You see, because at the point that Olive is at right now in her life, her current stage of life, solid food would be a choking hazard. Milk is the only thing needed. However, her and her parents will eventually come to the conclusion that in order for growth to continue at some point down the road in her life, solid food will no longer be a choking hazard. It will be a necessity for continued growth. 
All of us here today, when we begun our relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're tuning in, you, you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that today's that day for you. I'm praying that today's that day for you. Regardless of that moment in time, when, whenever it was, we all began at some point to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be a part of a thriving church community. I want to pour into that community, all these things. And when we did, we meditated on what the Bible calls the basic things of Scripture. That Jesus died for my sins. It required repentance on my behalf to turn from my wicked ways and walk toward the cross. Those are some of the basic yet profound things in Scripture. And please hear me when I say this. When we make the move from milk to meat, the basic things to some deeper things, God's desire is never to throw away the basic things. Instead, he's to move us in the process where we carry those with us. That we allow the basic things to be the catalyst, to be the driving force in our spiritual growth journey as we meditate on things within Scripture that are harder to understand. They then speak into parts of our life that are harder to understand. That's what I believe spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is actually supposed to look like. And so maybe today the next step for you in the process is to take a step in terms of expansion of your diet, scripturally. One of the most beautiful things about the Word of God, if I can be honest with you, is that it takes an entire lifetime to study. There's so much in this book. There's the Old Testament. There's the New Testament. There's the patriarchs. There's the gospel accounts, there's Hebrews, there's the book of Revelation, which is fascinating. There's so much in here to meditate on, it takes a whole lifetime to do it. You know, one of my favorite people in the whole world, he's since passed away, his name's Billy Graham. Many of us have heard sermons from him. Many of us have maybe gone to some of his revivals. I I never got the chance to meet him personally. But I remember that as he was nearing the end of his race on earth here, his life on earth, He was 99 when he passed, and towards the end of his life, one of his family members asked him a very simple question. They said, Billy, you've had millions of people that you've seen with your own eyes come to know Jesus. It's profound, the revival that's taken place in this whole world because of your faithfulness. But do you have any regrets? Is there anything that you wish you could go back in time and and change? And without even a moment's hesitation as if he had already thought as to what his answer would be. He said, the only thing that I wish I could go back in time and change is that I would have spent more time right here personally, reading God's Word. Now, upon reading that for the first time, I actually let out a little bit of a laugh. The reason was because every photo I have ever seen of this man was him either reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, or sharing the Word of God. That's it. And yet even that individual was saying that a lifetime's worth of study still wasn't even enough. That there's still so much here. Someone who had taken so many steps of spiritual growth and led so many others into steps of spiritual growth was even saying there's still more to be done. And so if that's the case from Billy Graham's perspective, I feel that all of us here today could probably agree that's the case with us. I know when I look at my own life, I look at the amount of time I spend in God's word and I compare it and contrast it to the amount of time I do pretty much everything else in my daily rhythms and it is saddening from time to time. And yet I'm scratching my head trying to figure out why often my growth is stunted. I think there's a direct correlation. This process of spiritual growth is one we often refer to as sanctification. 
This idea that God progressively, as time goes on, if we're willing to follow him with everything we got and pursue spiritual growth, we are being set apart. We're being made holy. Jesus says this in his prayer when he's praying for people like us. In John 17, verse 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he tells us what the truth is. Your word is truth. It seems to be the key. It seems to be the catalyst to this growth we want to see. I believe that as we consume the meat of Scripture, not just the basic things, that's when we grow in spiritual maturity. And when we grow in spiritual maturity, the Bible tells us in Hebrews what the outcome is. We will be able to recognize right versus wrong, good versus evil, two present realities, helpful versus unhelpful. Because here's the reality, folks. The devil would love absolutely nothing more than to keep you and I in a stage of infancy spiritually all our lives. That's his desire. It's very clear. Every temptation, every time he's knocking on the door, every sin that we give into, the desire of his behind it is to keep us in a stage of infancy. Because he knows that if we begin to mature and we begin to progress in our relationship with Christ and grow in spiritual maturity, that's when we will come to the conclusion that the Bible actually does say that the Holy Spirit provides a way out of every temptation. And so when the devil comes knocking on the door, we no longer listen to the voice of condemnation. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what evidence looks like of growth in terms of spiritual maturity. The growth that matters most. I believe that for many of us, it's time we make that move from milk to meat, from infancy to something more. I believe that's what God's call is upon our lives even today. But the reality with us is today, maybe we're all in different seasons. We're all at different stages, different points in the journey. As I said at the very beginning of this message, I'm 24. There are many here today that are older than 24. And you've been at this longer than I have. And we're at different seasons right now. We're in different stages. But for some reason, I really do feel like the, the, the Bible points to the fact that in every season, in every stage, the principles of growth are the same. They might look different in every season, in every stage that we're in. Some of us here today are closer to the end of the race of life than I am. And you've had so much to look back on, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of us are just getting started with that race. And others of us are in between. But I believe that the principles of growth, if we actually want to see it happen, they're all consistent in every stage and every season. So if, if you'll allow me, I, I want to conclude with one final thought. This thought is going to come in the form of a, a mental picture that I want to paint in your mind. Because I believe that this is actually, above all else, one of the key catalysts for spiritual growth to continue. I want to invite my brother Mike Metz up here with me. He's going to help me out with this. We can give it up for Mike if you know Mike. He's amazing. I want to say while he's coming up that Mike Metz, he doesn't just have a good singing voice. He does. He has a good singing voice, but um, he's the definition of spiritual growth. I've gotten to know him a lot, and if you don't know Mike, you need to know Mike. And uh, he played at the Masters recently, I think, too, right? There we go. I love it. Hey, yes, yes, we're going to eat oysters. Okay, can you help me out with this? Go stand right over there. Perfect. So Mr. Mike here is representing one of two point, three points, really, that I want you to see as we close. Three points in life, regardless of the season, regardless of the stage that you're in. You see, one point where I am currently is where I am currently. 
This is the point in my life where I find myself right now. But where Mr. Mike is standing is where I hope to be. It's where I hope to be in the future. It's the hopes and the dreams that I've thought about constantly. It's the point spiritually that I hope to be. It's the maturity that I hope to gain. And I thought for the longest time in my life that the key to growing spiritually was focusing on where you want to be one day and not disregarding where you are now. I think there's a little bit of truth in that. However, I think there is a far more important point in our lives that we have to be aware of that will keep us going and keep us growing. Mike, I want you to join me on this side of the stage, please. You're getting your steps in. Hopefully you're wearing your Fitbit. Awesome. Mike is representing a different point in my life. It's the point where I used to be. It's the point in my life that maybe I wasn't super proud of. It's the point in my life where the sins were ever-present realities and I could not escape them. It's the point in middle school and high school where I got plugged in with a very wrong crowd and yet God still saved me from. It's all the things in my past that I don't often want to look at because I'm scared that if I do, I'll go back. I believe that that's the point in your life that God will use as a catalyst. Not so that you can once again meditate on all the, the, the tough stuff you've gone through. Instead, I believe that it's important that we don't just look ahead to where we want to be, but the thing that gets us from where we are to where we want to be is seeing how far, the evidence of how far God's already brought us. If I had to take a wild guess in a room this size, even our online audience, chances are you've got a story that includes some heartache. You've got a story that includes a loss of some kind. You've got a story that includes sin that you are not proud of at all. Because that's my story. And if that is your story today, chances are in some form or fashion, God has allowed you to take a step forward. And even that one step in your story, that can be the catalyst to take step two and to take step three and to take step four and continue to grow spiritually, growing in wisdom, the Bible says, growing in maturity, the Bible says. I believe it's not just about where we're going. That's the cool thing to look at. It's the exciting thing to look at. But I believe that the writer of Hebrews would plead with us today, God is calling us today to take a look into the past to see just how far he has brought us. And when we do, I think what we'll see clearly is that God is faithful, which means that he was faithful back then and so I have absolutely no other reason but to believe that regardless of the suffering and the sinful season I'm in right now, God is still going to be faithful in the future. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that presents us not just with basic things about him, but things that are tougher to understand yet profound when we do. I believe that that's the kind of God that's here today inviting you to take a step, just one. It's what following Jesus looks like. It's what spiritual growth and maturity look like. It's one foot in front of the other. I have no idea what season you're in. I have no idea what step that needs to be. But I believe God's calling us to take a step today of some kind. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day that you've given us. The Bible says it's the only thing promised. So I pray that on this day, we would not just be too focused on where we want to go in the future 
and how we want to grow with you in the future. Instead, I pray that the growth we desire to see would take place because of how far we've already come. I pray you'd remind us of where we've been. Remind us of the basic things in our faith that serve as the catalyst to deepen our faith. Would you move us from a posture of infancy to something greater? And ultimately, I pray that anything that is shared with us and taught to us and produced in us, we would pass it along for the sake of someone else. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that as we worship you, we would experience your Holy Spirit's movement and power. In Jesus' name, amen.